Welcome to the FCBC NYC podcast. We're so thankful that you decided to join us in this moment and in this season in your life. Our prayer is that this podcast will be a catalyst for conversion and transformation and that you will be inspired and renewed in such a tremendous way that your desire will be to be your best for God. Again, thank you for listening, and we're excited to see what is next in your life. There is a word found in 2 Kings chapter 4. I don't want to be before you long tonight, but it is revival. We hope and pray that you would be as enthusiastic in the comments section, that you would once again virtual give virtual, uh, give virtual high fives and virtual fist pumps to people. Just let the preacher know that you're feeling what the preacher is saying. I can feel you, I promise you. I've been doing this over a year now. We have an uncanny way of being able to feel stuff through the screen and through the camera. So we thank God for you. Second Kings chapter 4, one of my favorite stories of scripture is lifted up here. I'm going to read a rather lengthy. I want you to hear the pericope, but I hope and pray tonight that you will once again give us lat- latitude and the ability to be able to share this word to us. Second Kings chapter 4, beginning around verse 13. I'll commence around verse 20, then I'll pick back up around verse 28 and close out in verse 37. Here is the word of God for us on tonight. This is what it says. It says, in this moment, Elisha said to Gehazi, tell her, we appreciate the kind concern you've shown us. What can we do for you? Can we put in a good word for you to the king or to the commander of the army? No, she replied, my family takes good care of me. Later, Elisha asked Gehazi, what can we do for her? Gehazi replied, she doesn't have a son and her husband is an old man. Call her back again, Elisha told him. When the woman returned, Elisha said to her as she stood in the doorway, next year at this time, you'll be holding a son in your arms. Oh, my Lord, she cried. Oh, man of God, don't deceive me and get my hopes up like that. Sure enough, the woman soon became pregnant. At that time, the following year, she had a son just as Elisha had said. And one day when her child was older, he went out to help his father who was working in the harvesters. Suddenly he cried out, my head hurts, my head hurts. His father said one of the servants, carry him home to his mother. So the servant took him home, and his mother held him on her lap, but around noontime, he died. Verse 28, then she said, did I ask you for a son, my Lord? Didn't I say, don't deceive me and get my hopes up? Elisha said to Gehazi, get ready to travel. Take my staff, go. Don't talk to anyone along the way. Go quickly and lay the staff on the child's face. But the boy's mother said, as surely as the Lord lives, you yourself live. I won't go home unless you go with me. So Elisha returned with her. Gehazi hurried on ahead, laid the staff on the child's face, but nothing happened. There was no sign of life. He returned to meet Elisha and told him the child is still dead. When Elisha arrived, the child was indeed dead, lying there on the prophet's bed. He went in alone, shut the door behind him, and prayed to the Lord. Then he lay down on the child's body, placed his mouth on the child's mouth, his eyes on the child's eyes, and his hands on the child's hand, and as he stretched out on him, the child's body began to grow warm again. Elisha got up, walked back and forth across the room once, and then stretched himself again on the child. This time, the boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. And Elisha summoned Gehazi, called the child's mother. And when she came, Elisha, here, take your son. She fell at his feet and bowed before him, overwhelmed with gratitude. Then she took her son in her arms and carried him downstairs. For a few moments on this evening, as we once again prepare our hearts and minds for revival, I want to preach from this thought tonight, there is life after a broken promise. Lord speak, we need to hear. It has been raised and posed to many 
Is it better to have loved and lost or to have never loved at all? It's an interesting thought philosophically in most of our times. I know there are many who would say, well, I'd rather have not experienced it at all. I'd rather not have known what it feels like because it's hard to miss something you've never had any kind of ownership of. And so there would be many who would argue, listen, but you don't know how love can be. You don't know what it is to have it. And even though it might be fleeting, I'd rather have experienced it than lost it. And in life for you and I, oftentimes that's what sometimes is presented our way in life. Some things come and some things go, whether it's love, whether it's job opportunities, whether it's relationships. There are oftentimes some things come and as you and I have learned, there's some things that come for reason, season or for a lifetime. But what happens, my brothers and sisters, at some point when you get something, something that has been gifted to you, something that has been favored to you that you have not asked for? And when you have given it to it, you know it was nobody but God. But the perilous period comes when you understand that once you have it, it becomes hard and difficult to embrace the fact that after a while, this promise, this gift has been taken from you. I'm talking to someone this evening during this revival that here you are, you're in a season of frustration. There are some things that honestly God has graced you with. He has favored you with. And now here you are living life empty handed. This promise that God had so graciously bestowed to you, now you're living in the shambles of a broken promise. And what do you do when a promise has been broken? What do you do when something that you loved and cherished has been taken away? And here is the kicker, it's not something you even asked for. That's really what surrounds our text tonight found in 2 Kings chapter 4, the story of the Shunammite woman. This story has always been intriguing to me, Pastor Warren, because at the end of the day, this story is about perseverance and about determination. The story starts with this woman in Shunem. She, she's known just by her placement, but we know she must be of some prominence. And the text tells us that around that area where she lives, the man of God, Elisha, begins to go around. She. She perceives something. She notices something. She says that when Elisha the prophet comes by, we notice that he doesn't get a stop at the Holiday Inn. He's not able to stay at the Ritz-Carlton. So she persuades her husband. They build a room to add on to the house in order to honor the man of God. It has a bed, a desk, a lamp, and this is where the man of God would come. She does this on her own. She did not ask his permission, but she sees a need. She wants to honor him, and this is what happens. The man of God through his servant Gehazi says listen because of her benevolence towards us what should we do in order to honor her they bring her to him and he asks her the question woman what can I do for you and this is her response she basically tells Elisha I'm good I mean my family takes well of me we we got enough money and we got everything fine I don't need anything from you Elisha I didn't do this as a transaction I didn't do this and build this so that you would bless me no I just did this because I I saw a need and I wanted to help the kingdom of God. And so Elisha, the man of God, leaves. He takes his servant Gehazi. He says, I wonder why she didn't ask for anything. She could have got whatever she wanted, but she said she is straight. She is fine. And he said, Gehazi, what do you think we ought to do to bless this woman? This was the response of Gehazi. Gehazi said, well, last time I was over at the crib, I didn't hear any child crying. And I could tell her husband is old. So this is what I would do if I were you, Elisha give her a son 
Give her a man-child. Allow the legacy to continue. Give her something that even though she did not articulate it out of her lips, I can tell it's a yearning in her heart. This is what Elisha does. He takes the advice of Gehazi, goes back to the woman. He says, this time next year, you're going to have a son. This time next year, you're going to have a child. She says, don't play with me. I didn't ask for it. Please uh, don't pull on my leg. Do not uh, do that to me. I, I was fine, but this is what happens. The text tells us a year later, even with her old husband, uh, she gives birth to a son. She's now got a promise she did not ask for. She's now bestowed favor that she didn't even pray for. This was not something she went and told God she wanted, but God gave it to her through uh, the prophetic utterance of the prophet. And here she is a year later. She's pregnant and has given birth to a son. Can you imagine how this child must have been for this woman? How it must have been incredible for her to wean this child, this gift from God that she didn't ask for, this promise uh, that now she has uh, a curry over. And this child grows up, this child that's going to carry their name and carry their legacy, this wonderful promise that she would oftentimes pass by his room and just remember, look at the faithfulness of God. Whenever she saw that child growing in favor, she was thinking to herself, this is what God has blessed me with. But one day, text tells us that after getting comfortable with the promise, after weaning the promise, after getting accustomed to the promise, this child goes out with his father. He's out in the fields and because of the intense heat that oftentimes is associated to this area, the text says that all of a sudden this boy that was a little older started to yell out, my head, my head. Some scholars have suggested that perhaps he then suffered from a sunstroke. His father did not know the, the real truth of what was going on. He tells the servant, take the boy back to the mother. And that's where the story takes a tragic turn. The boy gets back to the house. His head is obviously in pain. He's laying on the lap of his mother. And right then around noontime, the text says uh, the boy died. He dies. This promise that she didn't ask for, this gift from God that she didn't even pray for, this thing that she had gotten accustomed to and cherished is now dead on her lap. And my brothers and sisters, this is a painful part. I will admit this oftentimes seems like a struggle. And I will say to you that if it was you and I, if we were in the shoes of the Shunammite woman, I know we'd have been angry with God. I know we would have been upset. God, why did you give it to me in the first place? Why allow me to be pregnant and give birth to a son and allow him to grow up and only to have him die on my lap? What happens when you're facing and forced to deal with that, that promise and it's laying dead on your lap? What happens when uh, it's the job you didn't ask for, but God graced you with it and here you are moving up the corporate ladder, but COVID comes in and now they're making layoffs. What happened when the promise is dead on your lap? You weren't even looking for a relationship. You were fine doing your own thing. And then just by happenstance, you bumped into somebody and, and it just clicked. It became an incredible adventure. You were now looking towards everything going well. And now here you are, something you didn't pray for. You were already planning for the covenant to come only to now be jilted. Have your heart broken, your broken promise dead on your lap. What happens, my brothers and sisters, when that thing that we hope would work out. That thing that, that we had given, been given by God is end up dead on our lap. And the text is critical. This woman does something amazing. That the text tells us that she goes through this process. That she does not accept the fact that her son is dead. And I want to pause there because I want to believe, I want to help somebody. I know that you're hurting. I know there are tears in your eyes. I know you are frustrated because the promise has been broken. But this woman teaches you and I. You can't give up on it. 
What if I told you that that thing that you've been crying over, what if I told you tonight in revival at FCBC, what if I told you that if you don't give up on it, God can still give it back? What if I told you that that thing that people told you it, it was never coming to pass, that thing that people said you will never experience again, what if I told you that this woman becomes an incredible witness and paradigm to let you and I know that at some point God can still give it back? That's my simple word to somebody in revival. This is what I want to share with you during this holy week. I need you to understand that I know it hurt and I know you're in pain but child of God, God can still give it back. I know that your heart was broken. I know you are frustrated because you're saying, God, why would you take me through this process? But God sent me tonight all the way from Augusta, Georgia, right here in your virtual living room to let you know that God says, listen, I know it hurts and I know you feel hard and you feel cheated, but at some point I want you to know there's life after a broken promise. Let's share this text because what she does after the son dies on her lap is powerful to me, Pastor Mike. What she does and in this moment when this promise is broken right then her experience, she does some things that I want to illuminate for you tonight because I believe that it sets the paradigm of what we should have when it comes to determining our faith. What she shows tonight is a refusal to be able to accept things as they are. And when we look at this passage, I want to suggest tonight that some of you ought to have the same dogmatic steadfast refusal that this woman has. I come to push you tonight that sometimes you just can't accept things the way that they are. I don't care how bad it hurts you. I don't care how rough things are. But this woman in our text begins to let us know how to experience life after a broken promise. What is it that we see in the text? Well, there's a few nuggets in this narrative. I know where I'm at. So I want to just drop a couple of these moments tonight. What she does that she does to move to experience life after broken promise. First thing she does is that she teaches you and I that if we're going to be able to get it back and not give up on it, first thing you got to do is you got to refuse to embrace acceptable norms. Text is clear right here in this narrative. Notice the son is dead on her lap. Pastor Mike, she does something strange in this text. Text says as soon as the son dies, text says she takes the body of the dead boy and places it in the bed and then goes to her husband and says she wants to see the man of God. This is intriguing to me tonight because notice what she does. The boy is dead. Now, according to their customs, you are supposed to immediately bury those who are dead. But instead of burying the boy, she takes the dead son and places him in the bed. Now, I'm confused. If he's dead, why not bury him if he's dead? Why not say ashes to ashes, dust? Why not take him outside, dig the hole and bury him, put the tombstone with his name and birth date on it? But she does something strange. She decides not to do what normal people would do. She does not do what's acceptable. She takes what is dead and instead of burying it, she puts it in the bed. I need to help somebody here because I know that in your mind, some of people have told you, you need to bury it. You need to let it go. You need to forget about it. But what if I told you in this season to be like this woman, don't put it in the bed, don't bury it. Learn how to put it in the bed. In other words, by her placing it in the 
the bed. She was simply saying that even though it's dead, I'm not going to give up on it. I don't know who needs to hear that tonight, but this is not the season to bury that dream, to bury that opportunity, to bury that relationship. No, can I give you a simple thing tonight? Put it in the bed. Learn how to even in the midst of what it looks like and what it feels like and say, you know what? I'm not going to do what people would do in a normal situation, but I'm going to put this dead situation in a bed. I wish somebody could hear me tonight because I believe there's somebody that's in our virtual church space that can testify you preaching to me, PG, because the Lord knows I wanted to bury it, but I really tonight I need to put that thing in the bed. Hear me clearly. That oftentimes in order for you to experience resurrections, you can't bury it. You got to put it in the bed. Please, ma'am, please, sir, tuck that dream back in. Learn how to trust the fact because if you bury it, it can't be raised back up. So she does this. She puts it in the bed. Watch what she does, then does, Pastor Mike. She closes the door behind her. I'm not sure what that is, maybe to keep people from coming in, but she conceals the condition of her son. She goes to her husband. She says this. She said, look, I I need to go see the man of God. She does not tell him what has happened. She does not tell him her son is dead. Remember the last time the husband saw the son, he had a headache in the field. So when the wife sees him, she says, look, I need to go see the man of God. The husband is clueless. And he says, why you want to go see the man of God? Matter of fact, it's not even the right time to go see him. It's the new moon. It's the Sabbath. It's not the typical period that you would go in order to be in the presence of God. But she consists and she says, no, I'm not concerned about the right timing. I want to make sure that I, at this point, go see the man of God. I wish somebody could feel me tonight because she does not bury the boy. She places in the bed. But then notice what else she says. She says, I know the acceptable time is to go during the new moon and the Sabbath. That's when people go see the man of God. That's when they go and worship. That's when they go talk to God, have worship and praise. They, they would typically go to the sanctuary. They would go on a Sunday and and that's when they would go in order to have a time with God. But she says I'm not waiting to the acceptable time to go see the man of God. No, what I'm dealing with can't wait to Sunday. What I'm dealing with can't wait till we get back in the sanctuary. What I'm dealing with can't wait till it goes according to your timetable. I need to go right now. I need somebody to hear me because some of us have been waiting on some tight timing and there'll never be a right timing when it comes to going seeing uh, who where God is I want you to know you just can't wait to Sunday uh, some of y'all couldn't wait to Tuesday you needed to see God yesterday and it may not come from nine to five it may come uh, at two o'clock in the morning somebody needs to understand uh, that there's some things in our life that can never go according uh, to a convenient moment some of us uh, we got people in our lives uh, they only talk to God at a certain time uh, in a certain place but you can testify I'm going against the norm I know that when Whenever I need God, I'm glad he's 24-7, 365 days out the year. Somebody knows what I'm talking about because you go at unconventional times. Other folk at Waffle House at 3 o'clock, you on your knees in prayer because you understand I can go to God anytime because he's always available. Here in this passage, she teaches you and I, we got to learn how to refuse to embrace acceptable norms. She didn't bury her son. She puts him in the bed. And she once again goes at a time that was not acceptable in that, in that era. So I want to suggest to you tonight, if you're going to experience life after a broken promise, 
You got to make sure that you don't do what is normative for everybody else. But the text also gives us another refusal that she also teaches you and I that if we're going to experience life after a broken promise, we must refuse to endorse limiting impediments. It's right there in the passage. This is going to be intriguing because the man of God was not in Shunem. When you read the passage of scripture, you'll note that the man of God, Elisha, was in Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel was the place of refuge for Elisha. It was a place where he would go in solitude. It, it would be a place that was sacred for Elisha. It was not a place that he wanted to be interrupted. This, this was not normative. In that day, you waited till the man of God came to you. You wouldn't go to where the man of God is. But she is determined in this moment to go see Elisha because she has a dead son that's in the bed. So what does she decide to do? Well, it's not going to be an easy journey. Between Shunem to Carmel was about 12 to 14 miles. It was not close to her. It was not in her comfort zone. But she decides to pull out all the stops to get to Mount Carmel. She, she gets a horse and she gets an escort. She uses all of her means, watch this, to go to Mount Carmel. She don't have Elisha's address. She don't know where he is exactly. She knows round about where he is. This is before GPS. She can't ask Siri. But she made up her mind that I got to go see the man of God. And I believe that when she did this, this thing pushed me, Pastor Mike. And I will admit to you, Pastor Keisha, this is it's kind of crazy. Because she admits that if I'm going to get something supernatural from God, I've got to step outside of my comfort zone. I cannot be constricted to my proximity if I'm going to experience the best of God, which means I'm willing to go from Shunem to Mount Carmel. I don't know who this is for, but I want you to know that sometimes you got to be willing to go where God is. And every now and again, it's not going to be easy and it's going to push you out your comfort zone. I know for many of us that we have all these reasons about why we should do something. There always be limiting impediments. But here's the reality. If you want it bad enough, if you want it bad enough, you got to be willing to do some stuff that don't always make sense. She girded up a horse. She got an escort and she made her way out to Mount Carmel. Can I tell you that at this point and in this junction that when you are driven by your faith, you're willing to step out your comfort zone and go where you need to go in order to meet God. Hear the text, not only she get out of her comfort zone, but here's what's crazy in the passage, Pastor Mike. Notice what it says, that while she's going to search for Elisha, the Bible says that Elisha sees her. Okay. Um, um, she, she don't know where Elisha is. She don't have his address. She, she doesn't have anything to tell her where he is. But in her quest to find Elisha, the text says Elisha sees her. And God began to speak to me and say, Goodman, when you begin to come after me, I want you to know I'll always see you where you are. This was Elisha's response. What did he do? He sent his servant Gehazi. Gehazi is the one that has typically been the intermediary between the woman and Elisha. He sends Gehazi in order to cut her off at the past, to inquire of her what he needs, what she needs. Gehazi goes out and meets her where she is. But notice what she does. The text says she gives him a simple, formal greeting and then passes him by. 
Gehazi is the one she's been comfortable with. Gehazi is the servant of Elisha. But she wasn't looking for the servant of Elisha. She wanted Elisha. And it wasn't anything against Gehazi, but Gehazi was not the one that she was looking after. So she was polite. She gave him that peace. God bless you. I see you soon. And keeps on going by Gehazi. Can I tell you, my brothers and sisters, that oftentimes in our quest to get what we need from God, uh, not only do we have to stretch out of our comfort zone, uh, but sometimes you got to get by some comfortable people. Sometimes uh, you're going to have to move beyond folk. Uh, ain't nothing wrong with them, but, but you understand, I like you, boo-boo, but what I'm trying to do and experience now, you can't help me. I mean, I appreciate you. Uh, thank you for all the cards, and, and I appreciate those holy hugs we used to do uh, back in the day before pre-COVID, uh, but let me tell Tell you what I'm going through now. I don't need you. I need one uh, who's stronger than you. And every now and again, you and I must be careful to make sure we don't allow the disciples of God uh, to get in our way of getting to God. Some people can just show up and try to stop your progress. She gave him the peace uh, and she kept it moving. She said, All right, Gehazi, I didn't come looking for you. I came looking for the man of God. And my brothers and sisters, I want you to know there are going to be some places you're going to have to leave and some folk you're going to have to bypass in order to get to God. That there are going to be have some stuff that's going to take you out of your comfort zone and take you by some comfortable people. But the text is clear that she had a mandate. She was going to find Elisha. You got to refuse to embrace acceptable norms. You got to refuse to endorse limiting impediments. But then here's our third portion of this passage. You got to refuse to escape spiritual connections. Text then gives us something incredible. That when she finds Elisha, the text says she jumps and grabs his feet. She's grabbing his feet. While she's grabbing his feet, she's having a dialogue and conversation with Elisha. When you read the story, I hope that you'll read all this. Elisha now is at a place where God has blinded him from her situation. He starts asking questions. What's wrong? Is it your husband? Is it your son? And all the while, she's holding his feet and she's starting to have an argument with Elisha. Why'd you give me that boy? Why'd you do that to break my heart? Why, why give me a son if you're going to take it? And she's going back and forth with Elisha. As soon, based upon the conversation, Elisha realizes that something has happened to her son. She's going out. She's pouring out her desperation. She is angry. She is hurt. She doesn't understand why she has this promise that's been taken away from her. She is questioning the man of God. And I know there's some sanctified folk out there listening to me saying, how dare she go and say that? How dare she say what she said? But I appreciate her authenticity. I appreciate her transparency. I appreciate those who can be honest in the presence of God and say, God, I don't understand this. I don't know why my loved one had to die. I don't know why the job had to be taken away. I mean, God, why would you allow me to experience such pain? And here is the thing that got me when you read the text is God is not intimidated by her questions. But notice that while she's questioning the man of God, she's still holding to his feet. 
Oh, I wish somebody could see that image right there. That while she has problems, while tears are, are running down her face, while her heart is hurting, I appreciate the fact that in the midst of her questioning, she's not going to let the legs of Elisha go. So strong is her grip that it says Gehazi comes up and tries to tear her away from the feet of Elisha, but the woman will not let him go. And I want to submit to someone tonight that that's been your posture. There's been a whole lot of stuff that you didn't understand. There have been a whole lot of questions uh, that you've been wanting answers for. There's been a whole lot of things uh, that have really caused you some perplexing moments uh, and frustrating seasons. But be like the woman from Shunem. Be like her in the text. While you're questioning God, uh, still hold on to his feet. Uh, while you're going through your pain, uh, still hold on to his feet. Uh, while you got tears in your eyes, uh, still hold on to his feet. Uh, even though you don't know what he's doing, uh, still hold on to his feet. A few months ago, um, we was we was given something. You know, in our black community, we're funny. Um, we 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 find amusement in the strangest places. Uh, a few few months ago, there was a girl by the name of Tessica Brown who gained fame on social media. She gained fame because she posted a video of putting Gorilla Glue in her hair. So she gets the name Gorilla Glue Girl. And she puts this glue in her hair. She makes a video that says she's unable to get it out of her hair. There was outrage and amusement. There were some who laughed and mocked her. There was others who were very sympathetic, but she was truly sincere. She had something in her hair she could not get out. Matter of fact, she had to find a, a guy from Los Angeles who was able to come in and cut it out. It caused such a national stir that Gorilla Glue, the maker, ended up making a public statement. They made a public statement where they simply said, we already put on our bottles what you should not put our glue on. I was, I was, I'll be honest with you, I was, I was kind of like, what's going on with the Gorilla Glue? So I went to the store, because I want to know how strong is Gorilla Glue. And just as it said, it tells you, if you put this on something, just know you will not be able to separate it. If it's put on skin or in other places, be careful. Because once you apply this to something, whatever it sticks to, it will not let it go. I wish somebody would lean in close to your screen because that's the kind of faith I'm trying to tell you to have. That in times like this, you need to have Gorilla Glue faith. You need to say, listen, I messed up, but I'm still sticking to you, God. I got my heart broken, but I'm still sticking to you. Somebody can testify in the comment section and say, listen, that's my life. I'm a Gorilla Glue faith lover. I'm going to tell God I'm here and can't nothing separate. What can touch and separate us from the love of God? That's the question. So she, she makes this moment. She tells her what she needs and watch what, she did, what he does. He decides to say, all right, Gehazi, go ahead. Take my staff. Run ahead to Shunem. Don't make no stops. And place my staff on the face of the dead boy. Gehazi takes the staff and he goes, the staff represents the power of Elisha. But while Gehazi with the staff is going, the woman stays with Elisha. Gehazi is going ahead. He's putting the staff on the face of the boy. But the woman stays with Elisha. Notice her conversation. As the Lord lives, 
I need you, Elijah, to go with me home. Now, Gehazi with the staff has been to the crib. That's the power that represented in the staff of Elisha. But the woman said, I didn't come for the staff. I came for you, man of God. So the text says that Elisha decides to acquiesce her request. They begin to walk to the house of the woman. In their process of going to the house, Gehazi has been to the crib. He placed the staff on the boy. The boy does nothing. So much so that Gehazi leaves the house, heads back to Carmel where he runs into the woman and Elisha. And this is what Gehazi said. The boy is still dead. But the woman and Elisha keep on walking towards the house. Y'all got to catch the image. Gehazi been to the house. He placed the staff on the boy and nothing happened. He leaves the house to go back to Mount Carmel. On his way back to Mount Carmel, he meets Elisha and the woman who are making their way to the woman's house. Gehazi says, sir, I don't even know why y'all keep on going. The boy is still dead. But the text says that even with that news, Elisha and the woman are still going to the house. Because the woman understands. I'm not trying to worry about if the staff worked or not. Because my trust is not in the staff. It's in God. In other words, I'm not asking for gimmicks. I need God. And sometimes, child of God, we as the church got to do better because sometimes we get disappointed when the staff don't work. We get upset when the staff doesn't do what we wanted to do. We get mad because the staff can turn the situation around. And my prayer in this next normal is that you learn that just because the staff didn't work don't mean that God can't produce. Just because the staff didn't show up when you wanted to show up don't mean God is not able. I wish I had somebody in the comment section to say I'm about God and I like my staff but bless me believe it it's about God and nobody else. That's the text. He gets to the house. I'm done. Gets to the house and notice what Elisha then does. He goes into the room. Check this out. I'm done when I tell you this. He goes in the room and he performs this ritual. He lays on the boy. Mouth on the boy, his hand on the boy. Matter of fact, if you know anything about biblical history, he's reenacting the same thing that Elijah, his mentor, did for the widow of Zarephath's son. He does that. Paces back and forth. He's in the room, and he begins to lay on the boy. After a little while, after praying to God, the text says the boy sneezes seven times. Seven is the number of God. The boy sneezes, which means there's life back in the boy. See, I could spend a whole lot of time on the miracle, but can I be honest with you, Pastor Mike? It's not the miracle that got me. It's where the miracle takes place. She puts the dead boy in the bed of the prophet. The bed of the prophet was in the extra room she built for the man of God. It was a room she built unprompted in order to honor God and to show her appreciation. Fast forward, when the miracle is taking place, the miracle that she wants and needs from God is taking place in the room she built for God. Where God 
turns the situation around is in the space that she created in order to give God some honor. Y'all going to hear me in a second. Notice what happens. Uh, this room was built in a season when she ain't want nothing from God. It's where she just want to be kind to God and honor God. But in this moment when she needed God the most, uh, God showed up in the space uh, that she created before him uh, in another time. I'm here to tell you that whenever you make room for God, uh, whenever you do something special for God, whenever you enlarge your space for God, that will oftentimes enlarge your capacity to receive God's supernatural work. And I want to speak to somebody that people laughed at you and ridiculed you, talking about, I don't know why you do all that for the preacher. I don't know why you made that room for God. I don't know why you went above and beyond. But what you understood is the seed I sown in that season is God giving me a supernatural harvest in another season. I'm done. May the Lord bless you real good. But as soon as the boy got up, notice what Elijah says. He tells Gehazi, go get the woman. Which means that while the, while the miracle is going on, the woman is not in the room. Now, I will admit to you, I'm trying to figure out where she was. I mean, if all that commotion was going on, where could she be? Well, with my sanctified imagination and seeing the spiritual wherewithal of this woman, I'm really just been believe that while he was working in the room, she was praying outside the room. While Elisha was in the room, she was praying outside the room because she knew what she needed from God. And she said, if anybody can do it, then it's got to be God. Now, I'm not saying this is what she prayed, but if it would have been my grandma, I know what she would have said. She would have got on her knees and she would have said, Father, I shred my hand to thee. No other help I know. If that would have been my grandmother outside that room, then I believe that she would have said, I need thee every hour and every now and again you need your own prayer call that while God's working in the room you need to be on your knees asking God to turn your situation around I'm done here it is final thing of this text is that as soon as Gehazi comes against the woman the boy has now been raised up from the dead but notice what she does in the text she doesn't go and grab the boy first the text says as soon as she gets in the room she falls at the feet of Elisha and starts worshiping and praising while the boy is alive in the bed she doesn't rush through the process of worship because she understand I wouldn't have the boy if God wouldn't have did it so let me give God his due praise before I lay my hands on the boy and I need somebody to understand before you rush to the miracle before you rush to the bed get on your face learn how to honor God and say thank you for what he's done every now and again before I get the promise back I gotta tell the Lord thank you before I get the miracle back I gotta tell the Lord thank you before I get the job and the dream and the vision back I gotta tell God thank you and there's somebody in revival tonight that needs to tell the Lord thank you thank you before you embrace the son thank you before you embrace the miracle give the Lord praise right now because he's already done what he said he was going to do I'm done. That's the text. She goes and grabs the boy and she goes downstairs. That what started out a frustrating moment, a promise that was broken because she didn't give up on it, God gave it back. And I don't know who needs to hear this word tonight. I don't know what that is that you've experienced and lost. 
I don't know what it is that has brought you to this place where your heart is broken and your eyes are filled with tears. I don't know what dead situation is laying across your lap. But tonight I want you to know there's life after a broken promise. I need you to know that God still has the power to return it back to you. And I don't know where you are, but hear me tonight, don't bury it. Put it in the bed. Don't quit on it. Put it in the bed. This woman of our text is my Shiro because she didn't quit. She had faith to know that the same God that gave it to her is the same God that can give it back. And I want to pray for you tonight because it's going to be a process. This return, it's not going to be an easy journey. You're going to have to close the door behind some things. You're not being able to go when the acceptable times are. And it's going to stretch you to lead out on some areas of your comfort zone. You got to go to Carmel to get this. And you're going to have to bypass some people. Ain't nothing wrong with them. They're just not who you're looking for. But hear me tonight, this woman believed and she stuck close to him. I've learned I'd rather question him at his feet than be far away from him. Have that gorilla glue faith. And here's the truth, even when the staff doesn't work, still trust God. I'm praying for a mature church that comes out of this that's not wowed by gimmicks, but sincerely need God. See, that's been our problem, is that we've got you used to the staff and the Gehazi's when the truth is we need God. I'm believing that on the other side of this, that's going to be an incredible falling in to feel the Spirit of God. Where we're not going to be really wild by some of the stuff that we've gotten used to over the last few years. But we're going to make the meticulous, methodical journey with God to where we need Him to be. And isn't it amazing that the miracle takes place in the room she built? Give space for God to move in your life. Give God space to do the supernatural. I'm praying for everyone that's hearing me tonight. Build your room and watch God move. God, in the name of Jesus, we come. And we admit that we are, we've struggled. This has been a hard moment for many of us. It's been a time of loss and transition. God, we admit that there have been some things that we were questioning. We appreciated the promise, but we wanted to know, God, why? Why give it to us to take it away? There's someone under the sound of my voice tonight that understands there's some things you didn't even pray for that God blessed you with. And here you are trying to figure out, why am I the one having to deal with the leftover pain of something I didn't even ask for? I didn't ask for this moment. I didn't ask for this opportunity. I didn't ask for this. And now it's dead. But God, I thank you you show us there is life after a broken promise. So Lord, I pray for the strength of your people tonight. I pray for the fortitude of your people tonight. I 
pray that they will learn that if they don't give up on it, you can give it back. So God, I thank you for everything that we didn't give up on tonight. I thank you for everything that if the world had its way, would have told us to bury it, but we just know, God, you wouldn't give it to us to take it from us like this. So, Lord, I'm praying for restoration to take place in the people's lives tonight. I'm praying, God, that you would show up in an amazing way in their life tonight. So, God, we love you and we honor you. We bless you is our prayer. In Jesus' name, the one that we celebrate on this week, the one who taught us about resurrection because he knows what it is to be a broken promise as they saw him on that cross on Friday. But oh, we're so grateful that the tomb was empty on Sunday. So God, we appreciate you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the FCBC NYC podcast. We hope that what you heard was informative and inspiring and in some way created a space for you to have a creative encounter with God. You can follow us on social media and on the internet at fcbcnyc.org. Please follow and also contribute. If you've been blessed by what you heard, support us financially that we may continue to offer these podcasts. Thank you again, and we look forward to you tuning back in in the future.